0: If you have your Bible today, I'd like you to open with me to the Gospel according to Luke. We'll be in Luke chapter 6, and we'll begin in verse 46 in just a moment. Luke chapter 6 and verse 46, and we finally made it to the, first, uh, to the end of the first major chunk of Jesus' teaching in the Gospel of Luke. You remember, it's the Sermon on the Plain, which is very similar to the Sermon on the Mount, and uh, you remember he's, he's, we've covered a lot of grounds. He started out by giving us some beatitudes. He's talked about some blessings and even some woes which, is, which are totally absent in the Sermon on the Mount. And, and what he's done is he said that the way of the Master is really the opposite of the way of the world. And so what he's done is he's talked about, um, you know, when as Christians we shouldn't be trying to win popularity contests. In, in fact, if if everybody's saying all kinds of good stuff about us, that should be a warning sign because that's what they did with the false prophets. But instead, if we are mistreated or insulted or ostracized, not invited to the parties and stuff like that because of our faith, we should be rejoicing, we should be happy because great is our reward in heaven. Then he also goes along and says that that uh, um, that, that we need to, Uh, that we need to be good to people. We need to not be judging and harsh and judgmental, especially when we have sin in our own life we need to deal with. And even our enemies, those people that don't like us, that we don't like, people that are not lovely, that, that don't love us in return, we need to love them and treat them the way we want to be treated. And so what Jesus is going to do today is essentially say, So what? So what are you going to do about what I've just gotten through saying? Now you'll notice whenever we read this, he does not ask any questions. He doesn't say, what is your response going to be? But implicit in what he says is a challenge to us about how we are going to, re- to respond to his words. So if you found Luke chapter 6 and you're able to, I'd like you to stand in honor of God's word. We'll pick up in verse 46 and read down to verse 49. Jesus says, "'Why do you call me, Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? "'Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and acts on them, I will show you whom he is like.'" He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid a foundation on the rock, and when a flood occurred, the torrent burst against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who has heard and has not acted accordingly is like a man who built a house on the ground without any foundation, and the torrent burst against it, and immediately it, it collapsed, and the ruin of that house was great. Thank you may be seated. <clears throat> Now, the first thing that I want you to see in our text today is that Jesus calls us to be hearers as well as doers. Now, Jesus posed a question to them, uh, and, and he poses a question to us. And again, like I said, he doesn't, he, he doesn't enunciate this, this question, but essentially what he says is, well, well, he does say, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I say? He, he just asks us, why don't you do what I'm telling you to do when you say, I'm Lord? Now, in the church world, in, in Christianity, we use the term Lord a lot. Whenever we, we, when we pray, whenever we speak about God, when we speak about the Father, the Son, we, we refer to them as Lord many times. But outside of that realm, we don't really use the word Lord. We don't really talk about Lord, and we don't really think about what it means for somebody to be the Lord. What the, Lord, what the word Lord means is somebody that's in charge. They're the master. They're the one who gets to call the shots. Now, here in America, we don't like to think about somebody that's calling the shots in our lives, do we? It's bad enough whenever we have a boss at work that calls the shots. We don't want somebody in our personal lives calling the shots. We like to think of ourselves as a self-made man, a self-made woman, of the, 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 the master of our own destiny. But the longer we live, we realize more and more that we are not in charge of our destinies, are we? The longer we live the more we realize that it only takes that one phone call to put us in a tailspin. It only takes that, that one bad doctor's visit to take the ground right out from under us. We, we know these things, and, and as young people, we don't really think about it a whole lot, but as we get older, we, we realize this, but we still turn a blind eye to it, that we are not the masters. We are not the Lord of our lives. Jesus is Lord. He has a right to command His people. And as Christians, we may use the words Lord, Lord. We may refer to Him as Lord. We may refer to Him as the Master. But Jesus says the important thing is not so much on the words that you use here, but it's on the life that you live. Now somebody as well said that uh, most people's idea of a good sermon is one that goes over their head and hits their neighbor. And sadly, many times that's true. Because Oftentimes, we'll read the scriptures, we'll come to church, and we don't do it for the right reasons. <clears throat> maybe, maybe you've experienced this. You read the Bible, but why do you read it? Well, you, you say, you know, I'm, I'm kind of behind on my Bible reading plan. I had said my, my, my New Year's resolution was to get through the Bible in a year. And I haven't done it for about six weeks. I need to get to it. So you'll pick up in Exodus, wherever it is that you got hung up at. Or maybe you say, you know what? I, 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 I'm good about reading the scriptures. I, I have my own personal devotion time, but I've, there's so much going on. I haven't done it. I guess I better do it. Or why do you come to church? You ever gotten up and said, you know what? I don't want to go to church today. Now well, you don't have to raise your hand because I know the answer. You know why? Because I've thought that. And I'm the preacher. Sometimes you wake up and it's like, man, this bed feels so good. And I'm so tired. I just want to stay right here. We've, we, that's, that's true, right? I'm not, I'm not the only heathen here. Y'all are heathens too. So we, we feel that. Or we come to church because we feel compelled. We don't want, we don't want somebody the church to hassle us because we weren't there. And they're going to call us and say, hey, I'm just wanting to check up on you. I didn't see you at church on Sunday. When do you know that we missed you? We don't want that. So we get up and go. Or maybe we feel compelled to go because that's the way we were raised. And so we feel like it's just something we got to do. How many times do we say, Lord, Lord, and don't do what he says? Because we, we read these things in the scriptures. We hear these things proclaimed. And then we just don't do them. We, we, don't, we don't come for the right reasons. We don't read the scriptures for the right reasons. And then the things, that we, the, the things that we read, the things that we hear, we sure don't want to apply it. Because we want to read the scriptures, but we want it to make us feel good. We don't want it to step on our toes. When we come to church, we want to have our ears tickled. We want somebody to pat us on the back and make us feel good about ourselves. We don't want the, the scriptures to challenge us to change our way of life because we've been living in sin. We don't want that. And Jesus says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, but you don't do what I say? We want to think about how it applies to everybody else. How it goes over our head and hits our neighbor, but we don't want to apply it to us. So Jesus says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? We need to be hearers as well as doers. And the point of what he's saying is, we need to not only hear the word proclaimed, we not not only need to read the scriptures because we can't hear Jesus in person, we've got to read what he said. He says, you must be doers as well. Now, James says this very same thing. He says, when we read the scriptures, it's like looking in a mirror. Now, we had a family friend that initiated me into a club. I don't remember what the name of the club was, but I I was probably a teenager. And so, in this initiation playing he was a member and he initiated me into it and as part of this initiation we had we went to his dark room and there were two or three candles i mean it was very dimly lit and and you've ever been initiated into any kind of club you know sometimes there you got to do all kinds of things and so i had to sit in a chair across from him and i had to mimic what he was doing and we had i don't remember it was a, a cookie sheet pan or something it was i don't remember what it was but anyway it was some kind of metal thing And we were doing all kinds of, you had to rub it and do all stuff. It was was nuts. I thought, this is really bizarre. But, you know, whatever, I'm getting in the club. So we came out, came out of the room. Everything was good until I looked in the mirror. Because on that cookie sheet pan that, that we had or whatever it was, there was all kinds of soot or something. It was all kinds of black stuff. And I couldn't see it because it was dark. And his pan didn't have it. So whenever he was doing all this stuff, he didn't get anything on his face. But when I did it, I looked like one of the, the chimney sweeps from Mary Poppins. Now, I didn't know it was like that until I looked in the mirror. Sin is a lot like that. We, can, we, get, in, we get involved in stuff and we, we, we do whatever it is. Maybe other people are doing it or whatever. And we don't realize how we look until we look in the mirror. Until we look at the scriptures and we see what we look like. But listen, it's not enough just to see what you look like. James says if you're a a hearer and not a doer, it's like seeing what you look like in the mirror and then going away and forgetting what you look like. And what Jesus is saying here, and what James says, is we need to hear what Jesus says, we need to read what Jesus says, and then we need to respond in some way. We don't just walk away and forget what we look like. We need to actually do what we read. We need to wash our face, in, in my instance. We need to get our lives cleaned up. We need to live like Jesus says. So Jesus says, don't don't be hearers only, be doers as well. Now there are three truths about his teaching I want you to lay to your heart that we see in this text. The first is that Jesus' teachings, Christ's teachings, provide a solid foundation for life. They provide a solid foundation for life. Now Jesus gives us a word picture And I'm glad for it because he could have just said it's really important that you do what I say. But instead he gives us a word picture and as you visualize it in your mind you can see what he's saying. He says how you respond to my teaching is like one of two builders. You have one man, a wise man who digs down deep builds his house on bedrock. He digs down deep gets to the bedrock, lays a solid foundation builds his house off of that and next to him is a foolish man and he just lays his foundation out there on the on the ground now in the sermon on the mount in matthew's gospel he actually says it's sand but we'll just uh, just for for the sake of argument just say it's 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 just dirt this old missouri clay he just builds a, a foundation just pours the concrete right out there on top of everything now i'm not a builder i don't pretend to be a builder i've never had a job of construction I've cobbled some things together, but I've never built a house or anything like that. But having said that, I know the importance of a good foundation. I know the importance of having a solid foundation that, that is strong and it won't move. Because if, if your foundation is weak, if it's crumbling, the whole structure is going to be unstable. If the foundation is, is not square, if it's not true, the, the, all your corners... You ever worked in an old house where things have settled? Maybe it was, maybe it was a good foundation, uh, it, but it was built on something that maybe shifted a little bit, and everything settled, and your, your corners were true when it was built. But over time, they get all cockwobbled. You know what I'm talking about? That's a technical term. Um, they used it in the Greek. Um, and all your, all your corners are out of whack. That's what it is when you have a bad foundation. And, and things aren't square and true. And everything is, is going to be messed up. And, and and when you lay a foundation you want to lay it down deep on something that can bear the weight on something that is stable and unmovable and strong and secure you don't want to lay it on top of the ground because what happens with the ground well if you've ever had anything on top of the ground and, and it freezes and it thaws that ground moves doesn't it in, in, in droughts the ground cracks open and, and splits and again it moves it it, uh, if it's just built out on, on top of the dirt, whether it's sand or dirt or whatever it is, the rain and, and the wind can sweep that away. And Jesus says, if you don't do what I say to do, it's like building your house on top of the ground. Now listen, each person, whether we do it consciously or unconsciously, each of us builds our house on something. Each of us builds our, our lives on something. Maybe it's Christ and his teachings, Maybe it's some generic religious feeling. Maybe it's the world's philosophies. Maybe it's any number of things, but we all build our houses. We all structure our lives around something. And I'm going to put this as plainly as I can. If you build your house, if you build your life on any foundation other than Christ and his teachings, you are a fool. Is that plain enough? Jesus says it's foolish. To build your house on anything but Him and His teachings. It's like building your house on sinking sand. It's like building your house out on top of the dirt. It's building on something that will not last. It's not something that is going to give you a solid foundation. Only Christ and His teachings will do that. So His, his teachings provide a solid foundation for our lives. The second thing I want you to see it's closely related to that. But, but his, his, his teachings are the source of a well-built life. Not just the foundation, but, but the whole structure. It's, it's not enough just to lay the foundation. Look again at verse 48. He says, He is like a man building a house, who dug deep and laid a foundation on the rock. There's the foundation. And when the, the, the flood occurred, the torrent burst against the house and could not shake it because it had been built well. It had been well-built. Laying a good foundation is important. It's essential but then you have to build on that. You can't just lay a foundation. You can't just put piers out and say, that's good enough. You have to build the structure. What are you going to build it out of? Because if you build it out of, of, of anything apart from Christ's teachings, again, you can have a solid foundation, but if, you build it out of, if your house is built out of straw, you're not in too good a shape. But Jesus and his teachings provide the source of a well-built life. Brick by brick, it'll be built up with love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, holiness, integrity, all those things will be bricks in the structure of your home. Your faith will grow. Your foundation must be deep. And your house will then be strong. So his teaching is the the source. It it provides a solid foundation for life. it, It provides a stable structure for our lives. But the last thing I want you to see is that his teachings enable us to withstand life's inevitable storms. They enable us to withstand life's inevitable storms. Now you'll notice Jesus does not even hint that if you become a Christian, if you will follow him, you won't have any bad stuff happening in life. He doesn't say that. He doesn't even hint at that. He doesn't do any kind of false advertising. He says the storms are going to come. And I want you to notice, it seems to be the same storm that wiped out the foolish builder's house. Don't think that because you're a Christian, you're going to have a special set of storms. Now, you may have additional storms, but storms are a part of life. It happens to Christians and unchristians alike. The, the bad stuff happens to the wise and the foolish, the, 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 the sacred and the profane. It happens to, some of these things happen to all of us. People get sick. People get laid off. All these things happen. The question is not, will the storms come? The question is, how will you weather that storm when it does come? And the question isn't, isn't whether or not you'll experience them. You will experience storms. Jesus says, if you, will, if you will build your house, if you will structure your life around me, my teachings, you'll have a strong foundation and a well built home. So here's the image. Two houses stand side by side. On the surface, they look the same. But then a, a, a storm comes, and, and a flood washes away. And it washes away all of the stuff that's visible, that, that soil that's right up to the foundation. And when it's all said and done, whenever the storm clouds have cleared, there's a rainbow in the sky, what you have left is a house that's standing on a foundation that goes deep. So you couldn't see that foundation going way down until the storm came. And right beside you'll have a, a, a heap, a pile of, of wood and shingles and nails because this house that was sitting on the, on the, on the dirt, that wind and water swept that away. And, and the whole structure collapsed. It didn't have a foundation to stand on. I experienced a small version of this, thankfully without a, a home, uh, in Florida, on our last day there on Friday, I went out to the beach, trying to get my last little bit of ocean in before I had to come back to the state of Missouri, uh, Missouri. and I was standing there, I went right up to the edge of the water where the waves come crashing in, and I went out and I stood, and I was planted my feet, and knowing what I was preaching on, I, I, I paid attention to this, and so I, put my, I just planted my feet, and I stood there in the waves. Immediately as they began to come up, as they receded, they began to wash the sand out from under my feet. As I stood there, I wasn't moving. I just planted myself. And as the waves kept doing it, I just kept sinking. And it would bring more dirt sand up and, and it was taking some out. And I didn't stand there for very long and I was ankle deep in sand. I didn't move. But I was building my structure on the sand. And then that water came and it just wiped it all out from under me. That is a picture of what Jesus is talking about. When you build your life on anything other than Jesus and his teachings, when you do that, you're building it on sand that's going to be swept right out from under you. Now, the question is, why would anybody build their house on ground instead of of, of a solid foundation? That doesn't make any sense. Why would they do it? Proverbially, well I think probably the same reason they would do it literally. For one, it's a lot easier. If you've ever tried digging any kind of hole out here in Missouri, you know it's not easy. Not in Lawrence County at least. I mean, every time I've that that garden plot out there, I've I put in a garden I don't know how many years. Every year I turn up at least one rock that's about the size of a grapefruit or bigger. And it wasn't there the year before. I don't know if y'all are putting rocks in my garden or what, but it, they just it's, it's tough, and you go digging down, and you're hitting rocks, and you're hitting roots, and you're hitting all kinds of stuff. It's not easy. And it is, likewise, it's not easy to do the things that Jesus says to do. Not because we lack the power, because he enables us to live the life that pleases him. He changes our wants, so we desire to do those things. But, I mean, it is a fight against the flesh to do what he says to do. It's a fight whenever somebody wrongs us to not hold that grudge. It's a fight to, 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 to battle against the flesh whenever we have all those things around us that, that draw our attention away and make us want to look at this and, and listen to that. And, and, and it's, it's a battle to do what Jesus says. So that may be one reason why. It could be that, that, that the, the people around them, the people they look up to, that's what they're doing. Now, we tend to think as, as grown-ups that peer pressure is a young person's problem and it is a young person's problem. That they. I mean, It's, it's tough. You remember in, in, in school, in high school and stuff? Nobody wants to be the odd man out. But listen, grown-ups, senior saints, it's a problem for us too, isn't it? You say, oh, I'm, I'm crotchety me, and mean. I don't care what people think about me. Well, that may be true. We do get crotchety in our old age. But listen... When we're surrounded by people that are doing something different than us, it, it makes us feel out of place. And there's a pressure, even as, as an adult, to just kind of go along with what everybody else is doing so we don't stand out. And that's why it's, it's so important, especially as, as young people. Young people, surround yourself with people that, are, that will bring you up. We need to have people in our lives that will use peer pressure to make us do better. Because, and, and maybe you've had this person in your life, there are some people you have in your life that they, they act a certain way when you're around them, you feel pressure to act like they do, and it's not a good thing. You feel pressure to use language you don't usually use, you feel pressure to, to, to watch certain things that you don't usually watch. I mean, you just, you just feel that pressure. But you probably have that person in your life, or, or have had that person in your life, that when you're around them and, and you start doing some of those things, you feel out of place. You've lot of place when you're using those words that you shouldn't use. When you're looking at the stuff, you shouldn't be looking at it, and all those things. You need more people in your life that will pressure you to do the right thing. And I wish, I, I wish that, that as adults we would surround ourselves with those people. And I wish young people would surround themselves with those people, because that makes life a whole lot easier. Nobody wants to be different, so maybe, maybe that's what they saw everybody else doing. They're not putting their, their, their trust in Christ. They're not building their, their life on what Jesus said to do. I'll just be like them. It's a lot easier. And maybe some people just don't think it's necessary. And let's be honest, a lot of people don't, aren't Christians. A lot of people don't claim to be Christians. Many people don't want to be Christians. And so they don't, they don't build their lives on what Jesus says. And I'm sure the list could go on. But what I'm getting at is there will be storms in life. The winds will howl. The rain is going to, to, to beat on the, the the walls. The the hail will pound the roof. The flood will wash away the soil, and the wise man, the wise woman, the wise teenager, the wise child will build their life on what Jesus says. On him and his teachings, not just hearing them, not just memorizing verses, not just memorizing facts so you can so you can kill it at Bible trivia. But I mean hearing them, learning them, incorporating them into your life, and doing them. Not just hearers only, but hearers as well as doers. I think the application is easy enough for each of us to see. Are, are you, am I, doing what Jesus says to do? Now, I'm, I'm not saying you need to be thinking to yourself, is Jeff doing what, what Jesus says to do? I want you to ask that about your own self. Are you doing what Jesus said to do? Not are you hearing, are you reading those things, are you learning them, but are you seeing them, hearing them, learning them, and doing them? Now don't expect perfection, because you're not going to have that. But do you strive to do you make it your goal to do what Jesus has said to do? Say, yeah, pastor, I, I do that. Well, again, you're not going to do it perfectly. Maybe you have some sin that you need to repent of. Some failure that you need to 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 confess to God. Maybe you say I I that's not me. I don't do it. I don't I don't really care about doing it. Let me tell you if that is you and you are a Christian, the, the question that must be asked is why? Why would you, as a follower of Christ, professed follower of Christ, not care about doing what Jesus says? You call him Lord, Lord, well, do what he says. If you don't care about doing that, that should be a red flag to you. Because what Jesus is talking about is discipleship. You remember what he said uh, earlier in the sermon on the, on the plane in, in verse 40, he says the goal of discipleship isn't to know facts about the, the, the teacher. Verse 40, a pupil is not above his teacher, but everyone after he's been fully trained will be like his teacher. The goal of discipleship is not to learn about Jesus. The, the goal of discipleship is to be like Jesus. And it could be that, that, that you don't do these things. You don't, you don't do what Jesus says, number one, because you don't know what he says. But number two, because you don't really have a desire to. It could be that you have never turned from your sin. You've never repented of your sin. You're in rebellion against God. You, you, you thumb your nose at him. You think that he answers to you instead of you answer to him. Listen, you don't sit and, and judge God. God judges you. You are not the Lord of the earth. He is Lord of the earth. And one day each of us will stand before him. Each of us will give an account for what we've done in the body. You say, well, whatever. Now listen, I'm just going to be as plain and blunt as I can. I, I said it before and I'll say it again. If anybody builds their life on anything apart from Christ and his teachings, they are foolish. But, if you will turn from your sin, if you will confess your sin to to God, if you'll put your faith in Christ alone for salvation, He will save you. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And if you've never done that, I I call on you, we're going to have a time of invitation in a moment, I call on you to, to turn from your sin, to trust in Christ. If you don't feel comfortable... You know, coming up front, I, I wouldn't make a uh, I wouldn't call you out, I wouldn't embarrass you, but even if even if you're not comfortable with that, catch me after the service. We can sit down privately and talk. Jesus says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord and don't do what I say? And what is your answer to him to that question? Want to stand with me as musicians come? And as you stand, I ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And with nobody looking around, I just—I just encourage you to look at your own life. And certainly, there are areas that you don't have to think very hard about, an area that you have, that you fall short in, an area where it's a, a constant struggle for you—that same besetting sin. You don't have to think very far to. Think about those times when you've lost your temper and spoken out of anger. You've been harsh. You've lied. You've lusted. You've stolen. We all have areas where we fail. But the good news of the gospel is that even though we've offended a holy God with our sin... There's grace and forgiveness for all who will call upon upon Him. Christian, do you do what Christ has said? Do you strive to build your life on Him and His teachings? Heavenly Father, Lord, we ask that you would forgive us for, uh, well, there are so many things that, that we couldn't even list if we started listing them off one by one. And God, we know that the only thing that we contribute to our salvation is the sin that deserves the forgiveness. And God, we thank you that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us when we didn't deserve it, when we were in rebellion against you, when we were running away from you. That you extended that offer of salvation that all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And God, if there's somebody here who's never done that, I pray that you would draw them to yourself today. God, for those of us who are uh, believers, I ask that you help us to follow Christ better. To not expect perfection because we are not perfect, our neighbors are not perfect, our spouses are not perfect. God, I pray that you would help us to make it our goal to do what Christ has said. God, we thank you for your spirit that calls us to account. But God, I thank you for that grace that forgives us. And God, for for each of us, as we think back over our lives, we think about those sins that we've committed, We, we pray for forgiveness, we confess they were wrong. And God, again, I just ask that you would do your will in our lives today. In Jesus' name, amen.